a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. What is up, dog? What's going on? How you doing, man? I'm all right. You got like a uh, like a tripod set up, huh? I got a little tripod set up. I got to hold this shit. Let me see <laughs> if I have one, actually. What's going on? Dude, happy Friday. Thanks for jumping yeah. on. Every day is Monday. Dude, you're a beast. I've been seeing you in the circuit. I saw the <laughs> uh, Wolf of Wall Street. little, yeah. uh, And then the clubhouse last night. I I'm watching you, man. You're crushing it. I mean, this clubhouse thing, I don't know, man. This is some weird shit. Wait, I'm gonna, I actually have a little stand here. Let me put this up. Dude, you're so, a pro. Let's do it. I don't really do these Instagram lives. Um, They're kind of interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all good. I just, I should have set this up. I didn't think about holding this for 20 minutes. Um, so, yeah, all is, all is good. And uh, clubhouse was pretty freaking strange. <laughs> dude isn't I mean, it it's it's pretty surreal right you hop in there and it's like it's beyond surreal it kind of it felt like uh the truman show to me and it felt like i was being set up for something really weird to happen <laughs> you know like they yeah. like people come on like voices come on and and start announcing me and can shout know, it at no i mean like they have like professional voiceover people who come on like it's a tv show we didn't plan any of this it happened like in five minutes and all of a sudden someone's like, welcome Doug Ellen. And, <laughs> and um, I don't know, it just, it felt like there were, it felt like there was a whole room of executives that were plotting how to convince me to do whatever the hell they wanted, you know? <laughs> um, and I see a lot of my friends are, are getting crazy addicted to this in a very short span of time. I don't know if it's gonna last or what, what do you think? I think we'll see Twitter, Facebook, maybe Steal even it. TikTok yeah. pop in a feature, Snapchat pop in a feature, but yeah dude first mover i mean i i've been spending like an hour i was on there for an hour last night jumping in and out of rooms so i i love it and it's and are you having valuable experiences or you're just kind of because what i found was i wasn't even necessarily enjoying it that much but i was like yeah I, I, it's kind of pleasing uh, aesthetically as opposed to me getting information that actually is going to be useful to me but if you got things that you thought were like valuable out of it yet here's what's cool as a as like a, a founder of a brand you get a bunch of food and beverage founders or entrepreneurs into a room and you can right. just, you know, that's, that's you know, cool. spitball ideas, things that you're, you know, messing right. up on or, or fucking up. But, right. uh, and then so you, you can find the right room. Yeah. You can you get investors in the room. Um, and then dude, I was in a room the other day where there was literally artists creating a song live, like someone's playing a track that's and wild. then giving feedback. And I was like, this is pretty interesting. Yeah. So, so there's definitely some cool stuff. I got to find it. It probably wasn't, uh, wasn't my crazy room with a bunch of my friends yelling shit out, but yeah. Well, dude, bottom line, Doug, uh, guys, episode 35, we got Doug Ellen. Um, I'm number one, man. I'm from LA diehard entourage fan. So appreciate you, you coming on and, and, uh, sharing a little bit about your story, man. Thanks. No problem. I'm ready for some healthy ice cream. You know, I've been on a, uh, I'm like a disgusting person my whole life. I've been uh, a really horrific eater and an overeater. I'm serious. And I'm like, I've spent the last three months, like really trying to cut out all the garbage to the best of my ability. Dude, um, I'm, I'm speaking of which I'm going to show first look. We haven't uh, launched this yet. It's coming out next week. This is uh, you ever have dibs as a kid? Let me see the light. You ever have I dibs mean, ice cream bites? Well, well, first of all, it's weird that you're saying as a kid, but my kids lived yes. on dibs. You know, I don't even know if they were around when I was growing up, but my kids were obsessed with them. And then I would eat like, 
I would honestly eat giant containers of it by myself, like they were M and M's. Just sit there and, and eat it. So yeah, but now I'm like, you know, that's why I want your new one. Like this is my life now: blueberries Dude. and yogurt. Um, so are these are those? There's no added sugar in that, or what is it? Yeah, so you got everything we do 100% plant-based, but what we're doing is we're building the next Hershey's. So we started with a popsicle, we got a bite, a bonbon, and then we're gonna be launching anything from chocolates, gummies, uh, anything that's a candy or a confection, 100% plant-based, no gums, no additives, just coconut sugar, superfoods, but why can't candy be better for you and functional? And that's, that's just what we're all about. I mean, I love it. I, get it over to me. I'm ready, man. I'm, I'm like, you Dude, know, we're going to, we're going to send it all. I got Josh dropping it off. Uh, oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, man. So, um, love it. Love it. Let's, let's just kick so off. I know, I, I know you got to jump yeah. in, in 20. Um, yeah, I'm sitting here writing a script right now that I have to have in by Monday. That's my day on a Friday night. So dude, still hustling. I love it. Um, yeah. At 53. Well, right? well here's, here's what I'd love to, to dive into is, one of the most iconic television series i'm from la it's hard to actually like frame and sum up something so perfectly uh but you guys really tapped into this you know cultural movement but let's go back to early doug allen i'm talking you know back before entourage you're looking at fat beach we're talking yeah. some of your early script writing uh early early things that you were working on how did you even get into the position to, to create this cultural movement uh that, that you did well i mean i graduated college in, in 90 from tulane in new orleans and like my plan my kind of life's plan or my parents life's plan was law school or something professional and right when i was graduating college i was like i, I can't i just can't like yeah. stay in school and uh i just moved out to la i didn't know anybody and I told my parents I was going to start doing stand-up comedy, which was, I mean, to them, I might as well have said I was going to, you know, I was going to join, you know, the special forces. It was that ridiculous to them. Um, and I moved out to LA and I started doing stand-up. I got, uh, went to a temp agency, got a job. I was in the mailroom at New Line Cinema and uh, took like night classes at UCLA Extension and stuff and went and made a short film, just like people are doing now today, every day on Instagram or whatever. I had to do it the old fashioned way, which is hire people and get cameras and get editing equipment and do all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to find uh, a young pre friends, David Schwimmer was in my short film and Johnny Silverman and Sick. some other people that I had met around town. And we ended up selling that film to uh, uh, Showtime as a short film that they played before the player. And then like, from the mailroom at New Line, which Mike DeLuca, who was the VP, gave me money for that short film. He came and saw me do stand-up. He gave me a little bit of money. Again, the whole thing was like $14,000. Yeah. But um, but selling, uh, I mean, still selling something at that time, that's a big deal. You don't just sell it, it, a, it was, a project. It was, really, it was really wild. And uh, it seemed like my life was made. And all of a sudden, I got a, a producer saw my short film, my little eight-minute short film and wanted me to direct a feature film that happened to be at New Line Cinema where I was in the mailroom 12 weeks earlier. <laughs> so I, I literally went from the mailroom guy into Mike DeLuca, who had given me money for this little short film, into his office to meet, to direct a $20, 30000000 million movie. And I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, legitimately no idea. I'd never been on a film set besides my short film. I didn't grow up in the business. And the meeting was kind of 
I mean, it was it was good, but it was kind of a catastrophe because even though these producers believed in me, Mike, who's you know went on to win Oscars and is just a you know a pretty sharp guy, you know, he called me after. He's like, "Listen, I think you know you should go to film school. You should get some experience under your belt." And that's what I did. So I went to I applied with that short film to AFI, and I went there for a year, and then I came out and uh, you know Fat Beach, which uh, <laughs> is a weirdly uh, strange story i came out of there i made another short film and a producer saw it and um and offered me this movie fat beach which was like a fifty thousand dollar budgeted uh you know thing on the beach and we ended up making it in like seven days and it was kind of like a afterthought of what would happen it sold to a studio and got released around the world which which was crazy to me i was paid eleven thousand dollars the movies i think wait fifty thousand dollar budget in a week was the budget of that movie. And then what happened was That's it was down, <laughs> down for a year. We ran out of money. So it was just sitting there. I kind of forgot about it. And all of a sudden the producer called me and said, we got some money. Live entertainment wants to release this. And I was like, release it where? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? and, uh, and then they released it on 400 screens in the United States. I had to have my parents Sick. sit through this movie. I had Chris Rock making fun of this movie during his stand-up act. But it kept going so. and going and i was getting at the time i was getting all these meetings off the movie like i met on friday and when i got there ice cube honestly he was like i i honestly thought you were black when you were coming into this meeting <laughs> so uh, so that's what happened and then um kissing a fool sort of came about the same way which is a little entourage like but kissing a fool is this movie i did with david schwimmer uh who i was friends with ever since the short film and um they offered that movie the producers Andrew Form, who uh, went on to run Michael Bay's Platinum Doom Company, they offered Mark Wahlberg Kissing a Fool. And Steve Levinson, who was Mark's manager, said maybe Mark will do it if Doug Ellen writes and directs it, which was never going to happen. So it was a nice bait and switch of how yeah. managers work and, and ultimately how uh, I started writing for Entourage. But so they said, all right, well, if Mark might do it. So they hired me. Mark was never going to do it in a million years. And then I wrote the script. We went and got the cast we did, which Jason Lee and Bonnie Hunt. And, um, and we made the movie. And that also, that was made for a million six. Sold to Universal. And which, again, to make any independent movies and sell them to studios is very, very difficult to do. Of course. Kissing a Fool, I was this hot director after this movie was made, not when it was released. So all of a sudden, I'm getting all these offers to do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm now thinking I'm a successful guy trying to figure out what I want to do as opposed to what you should do, which is take a job. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I learned that quickly. The movie came out. It didn't make money that people wanted to, wanted to think it should have made, even though it only cost a million six. And I was legitimately unemployable. I could not get a job for anything. And I had you know, I'd probably at this point, I'd worked for 10 years, made enough money to buy a house. I was living a nice life, married with kids. And all of a sudden, I could not get a job. I started thinking about law school again at 28, 29. And then a friend of mine said I should get into TV, which I'd never done anything in TV. And um, I asked him how I did that. He told me to write a spec for a show that I liked, which it's crazy to think that the spec I wrote was Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, you know, is still on the air. It's nuts. But uh, I wrote that. Did that really... spec go through into production? No, that, okay. spec went, that spec went to my manager and friend, Steve Levinson, who said, called me literally the next morning and said, you know, Mark and I, Wahlberg, have this idea. We don't really know what it is, but it's Mark and his friends. We want to talk about it. 
And that's where the whole thing happened from. So I, I met with them the next day. I knew Mark for a lot of years through Steve. And uh, I actually wasn't into the idea, which was the same with Kissing a Fool. <laughs> same with Kissing a Fool. Steve got me that. I'm like, I don't, I don't like this. He's like, you're doing it. And with Entourage, I said, I don't want to watch a bunch of guys live off another guy. It's just yeah. I mean, at, at the at the in the initial like setting, when you're thinking about it, you're just like, bunch of guys in Hollywood. One of the one of the dudes is a successful actor. There's no way you had any like insight or foresight into what this could be, right? You didn't even like it. Uh, my thought was, I don't like hangers on, and I'm not a guy who would ever travel like that. Leeches. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, leeches, which is often what it is, and right. you know. Lev said to me, which, you know, thankfully he did. He said, go think about it. You'll figure it out. And, you know, listen, any TV show at the end of the day is a family, whatever it is, whether it's The Office, they're a family in The Office or Cheers or whatever. So I started thinking, how could these guys really be a group that we care about and be a group that I can relate to? And I kind of mix and matched a lot of the elements in Mark's life with my own. Uh, switched them to New Yorkers and then really kind of used a lot of my experiences over my, I guess at that point, 12 years in Hollywood and, and kind of put them in through the lens of a movie star. So that was, uh, that was kind of where it came from. It's awesome. And so as this thing, you know, I, I, I listened in when you were talking about the pitch to Ari at HBO, HBO initially bought into it, right? You know, that moment, did, did they have a, a feeling that this thing might really take off or was it just like, no. oh, this is no, no, no clue. Okay. Not, not at all. I mean, you know, Mark wasn't actually there, but Ari was, you know, was a force. And they bought the script, which at the time I thought was like an enormous deal, but it wasn't because they buy a million scripts and they yeah. make, don't make most of them. So the next two years was 20, 30 drafts and notes and notes and changes and this and that until we finally got it going. And, um, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a long grind process and while it seems like these things kind of sometimes happen overnight they, they just don't and everything that was in entourage was really kind of the things that i'd been through through the 12 years before that and um and the two years that it took to make it because i used a lot of the elements of even even that thing you know the the development of that i used on the show as well um are there any characters in the show that you most relate to personally Sorry, Doug. Can you hear me? I think you yeah, covered up the mic. Any characters that you personally? me. Oh, okay. No. I was just saying, any show, any characters you personally relate to the most that really you come through in the in the in in the show? Well, well, I mean, there's so much of my life in it. I mean, I, I you know, Eric's personality and Ari's personality are kind of blends of mine. And yep. Ari's Ari's life was, you know, I cast Perry Reeves, who reminded me of my first wife. My son played Ari's son. <laughs> And I used elements of our marriage in that. Um, I used verbal language that may enter my brain that I wouldn't be able to speak in public in Ari. Yeah. But, but Eric was really how I was with my group of friends. At least I thought. I was kind of the, the moral compass with a lot of lunatics around me. So that was kind of my thought of what that character was. So there was, you know, a blend of those two. And when did you guys start to realize, was it after the pilot or was it a couple episodes in, when did this thing start to snowball and you're like, holy shit, this is going to change the industry? <laughs> I don't know if it changed the industry, but I, I, th I mean, set, know, set a, a standard, set a new standard. You know what? It, it's, I, I'm a, I'm an erotic Jew. I was always pretty negative. I was always like 
we got to get to whatever the next goal is. First thing was good reviews, which we never expected. New York Times said we're the best show on TV, smartest show on TV yeah. when we first came out. That was pretty shocking, I think, to both HBO and myself. But still, I didn't know that it was a hit, per se, until season two. I was kind of locked into my room writing season two when one was airing. And, and producing it. And it was really not until the second season when we shot this Vegas episode where we filmed at the pool at the Hard Rock and, and Jerry, who played Turtle, walked out and like 200 people started yelling Turtle at him. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I really did. There was no, there was no indication because you didn't have the internet. You didn't have that social media feedback. And ratings had changed dramatically because of TiVo. So what the numbers looked like compared to the Sopranos four or five years earlier. And, and again, the Sopranos was bigger anyway, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, I thought we were gonna get canceled. And Chris Albrecht, the president of HBO called me in Vegas when everybody else was celebrating, thinking life is great. I'm like, we're getting canceled. Cause I saw an article that said the numbers were whatever. And Chris called me and I was like, Oh, yo, we're going to, we're going to blow this thing up this year. You know, I'm doing my sales pitch. And he's like, what are you talking about? We have a, huge hit and we're going to do as many of these things as we can do so that was uh you know and then in typical hollywood fashion things happened chris ended up who i you know i credit with helping make my career chris ended up leaving hbo and then it was like a whole new regime came in and then it was a different animal again and any of the kind of uh respect we had before that kind of disappeared out the window so i also think what was really interesting is you know the reason i, I also reached out is there's such a scrappy like startup nature to Entourage. When I read about, everyone thinks it's like this glamorous uh, project. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys, you guys weren't paying actors to jump onto the show. You know, it's really scrappy in terms of your budget and how you did it. So, can you talk a little bit about uh, how how those types of cameos well, or brand partnerships came? Well, the came well, together? The, bu the budgets obviously go up every season. Yeah. In success. Yeah. But first season, it was a low budget. I mean, you know, I there were scenes in the pilot that I got my camera guy, threw him in my car. And, you know, there was a scene at the Ivy. I had Jeremy Pivot just go into the Ivy, make a reservation, walk out, and we filmed it. And <laughs> he, almost, he almost got hit by a car. And when the Ivy saw it later on HBO, they were like, what the fuck? We didn't get paid for this. Like, yeah. what is this? So you had to do things like that. It was like film school, guerrilla filmmaking. And then obviously things got better. But still, getting cameos in the first season was impossible. I mean, yeah. you know, we got lucky. Um, Mark obviously showed up and, and um, you know, Larry Charles helped us get Val Kilmer and Larry David, um, but it was really hard. By the time the third season rolled around, people were calling us, especially athletes. The athletes really loved it and would call and, you know, I, I'm a big sports guy, so I try to get in as many as I could. And, you know, it wasn't that I was enamored by that thing. That's the real lifestyle and that I wanted to show on the show. and. You know, when, when I went to screen the movie at Mark's house, you know, he's like, come over, we'll watch the movie. I was like, all right, you know, no big deal. I walk in, Kevin Durant is sitting in a chair. Sick. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, then we screen another one. It's the entire Golden State Warriors when they, after they won it. So, you know, that is the lifestyle. So, you know, everything that we did on the show was an attempt to really portray that stuff. And then again, through the eyes of how I saw it, you know. The other thing I'll say, Doug, is, I think you guys actually executed one of the greatest product placement, product launch collaborations I've ever seen with Ken Austin. A fun yeah. fact is I used to actually work for Jesse Itzler, um, who another epic uh, cameo and collaboration that you guys did 
So I was working for Jesse at 100 Mile for three years. It's where I actually fell in love with building CPG brands. Yeah. And uh, what you did, can you talk a little bit about the Avion partnership, how that worked out with Turtle launching the brand? And yeah. That so, was genius. So, like, I'm so it's, I, I, thank you. I, it's funny that you say, like, Jesse, you know, Jesse called me and said, you know, can you put Zico in? We'll get you some shares. I said, just don't worry about it. I'll do it. Yeah. Zico's on Ari's desk, and, you know, I have nothing to do with the company. What happened with Avion? One of my childhood closest friends is Kenny Dicker, who started Marquee Jet and now Wheels Up, which just got valued at $2 billion. I saw, saw multi-billion, so, insane. So <laughs> knock on wood, knock on wood, because I'm a founding partner. So hopefully I'll go Congrats. So <laughs> what happened, we were on vacation and Kenny is a very creative guy and a business guy, Kenny Dicker, Ken Austin, I'll get to in a second, but I said, I, I'm struggling. I, I want Turtle's character to kind of grow into a new thing. I want to like make them a little different. I need a business idea that would work. And Kenny said, uh, I'm starting a tequila company with Kenny Austin. That should be it. And basically the conversation was that simple. And I said, okay, but I don't, you can't have any say what normally happens with a brand is if you get involved with them, all of a sudden you're beholden to them. You got to do what they want. You got to say what they want. You got to make sure scenes don't have vulgarity, drugs, yada, yada, yada. So I said, okay, I don't want to hear anything about your business. Go, go do whatever you want, which I really, to be totally honest, I misjudged what they were going to do and how incredibly fast they moved. I mean, you know, Ken, Kenny Dichter had Ken Austin on a wheels up plane to Nantucket five minutes later. And I was very obsessive about the show. So while they were talking business and all this, I was like, I don't give a shit about any of that. I care that Turtle has a real story that feels really believable and real. And it's wild to watch now how 10 years later, that's the thing. Every celebrity brand wants to build a liquor brand. And I like to think we had a big hand on that. But um, so, so then, you know, like I said, they went and did their business. I went and did the show. And I really didn't realize what was happening until like we aired and all of a sudden, uh, Kenny and Kenny took out a billboard on top of the HBO billboard. Insane, you know, insane. And, said, and I was in France and all of a sudden I got a call from the president of, of HBO. Did you, did you launch a tequila brand? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, I did the same thing I do with the Maserati Quattroporte yeah. and every other thing, you know, like I use products that I liked and that worked in my mind organically for the story. So I thought, and I, I was obsessive, which whether people thought so or not, and I think Ken Austin will tell you he thought so, I did it to make it as real as possible. Because one of the challenges for Ken with the real brand was a lot of people thought it was fake, you know? So people really, because it, I mean, it essentially was before the show started, so. And I don't think a, I've ever seen anyone launch a real product, because you've seen past products where things have existed, but there's yeah. never been a breakthrough, like fourth yeah. wall, which was epic. Um, yeah, and they really, you know, Kenny Austin did such an unbelievable job, and now he's doing it again with The Rock. He's got Terramana, yep. Yeah, and he's got with Connor uh, Proper 12, which we, we kind of talk about on, on doing this podcast, Victory of the Podcast, with a couple of the entourage guys, Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon. And we kind of, it's a product I love, and I love Kenny, so it's kind of, we do the same thing. We talk about it in organic, natural ways you know, as it relates to Connor or as it relates to The Rock and stuff like that. So, and that's honestly how I, I would prefer to do real branding, which I think a lot of people now do it. But at that would point- you ever, Would you ever launch your own brand through kind of your platform? Oh, 100%. That's now obviously the goal after you missed the boat on everything. And I watched, <laughs> you know, I watched my friend, you know, Mike Melvin make a billion dollars on Casamigos. Yeah. 
you know, the problem is, and I spoke to Ken about it because I have a new show now that I'm working on. I said, I want to organically build a brand again. And I want it to, it'll be realistic to what the show is, but I want to do that. And he was like, listen, it's not quite as easy. Not that it was easy then, but it's a lot more difficult because everybody wants to do that. You know? And there are so many brands. I mean, on our end, we just see every, so many celebrities. There's a lot of capital yep. going into these brands right now. And the stakes are getting higher. You know, Terramana now, they pre-sold more bottles with The Rock and through this campaign than Casamigos sold in year three. Um, it's, it's, so it's unreal. It's unreal. It's, it's crazy. You know, and, and it's just, yeah, it all becomes hyper competitive. And I really do think we were at the forefront of it. Who cares? Doesn't help me. But, yeah. you know, that that's, you know, that's, that's what the model was. And I think everybody wants to do that. And then the challenge now is, and we'll see that the new show I'm doing, we will try to do things like that, that play to the world and that work organically because watching real commercials, which I thought, honestly, when we were doing Avion and I was talking about that, I said, I don't even think there will be real commercials in 10 years. So I'm surprised they still have kind of held on a little bit to their value that I thought would be really gone. And I thought smart people were going to have to figure out how to incorporate in real life. But what I did with Entourage from day one, I was one of the first television shows to use Apple computers, certainly the first FaceTime. There was no money in that for me. I was just obsessed with Apple computers. And I kind of almost all the products that I put on the show were because of my love for them. The Quattroport was an example of that. I mean, I love yeah. that car. Um, and they at one point credited me. I remember there was some article where the guy said, Entourage made this car for us. Like it really Dude, did. you probably too, I mean, Aston Martin, like the amount of brand value that you added to like that company, insane. And I don't yeah. think it's, you got the proper credit sometimes. I mean, it's real. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, again, it's not even credit you want. You want money. It's like, yeah. you know, <laughs> Steve, Steve Berman was a friend of mine. And he called me up. He called me up and said, hey, would you mind? I used to do this all the time, just like I said with Jesse. said, would you mind? We got these new products, Beats headphones. Would you mind, like, putting them on the show? I could be wrong. I believe Turtle put the first thing on TV on his head to end the season. And I got, I got like, 10 pairs of Beats headphones. I love them. They're great. They got a billion dollars. And, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it is what it is. But It's awesome, man. Well, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. I got a couple, like, real quick questions. Yeah. You got to jump. Are you good on time or you got to you got to? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm good. I, I okay. like to talk, so I'm, and I hate to write, which I have to do next. So. There you go, man. Um, so can you talk a little bit? Of, are you allowed to share anything about Wish, which I read about on IMDb, but I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it at all. Is it just kind yeah, of under wraps? I mean, to be honest with you, Wish is hanging around. I mean, we sold that a while ago to HBO. It's a great israeli show i got a great writer to write it i wasn't writing it okay so the thing that the thing that i'm really in development right now is a thing called day ones which i'm doing with matthew vaughn who you know is a great director from kingsman and layer cake and and thierry henry the great french football star so that's what i'm focused on that's what i'm sitting here in front of my computer writing that's a show that um we're supposed to shoot in london in september we're trying to cast right now get the Epic. scripts ready and all that so um it's Again, I've done this a couple of times. I did with Mike Tyson, a thing called The Brick that Spike Lee directed and John Ridley wrote. That was loosely based on Mike Tyson. And, and the way it happened is Mike said to me, why don't you do for me what you did for Wahlberg? And we wrote it. We ended up shooting it with John Boyega playing a version of Mike Tyson. It didn't ultimately go forward. And that's what I'm doing here, except for this one I'm writing and, and creating. So, um, you know, I'm excited about that. Awesome, man. And age old question for you. When you see how streaming is totally disrupting this industry, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, 
I've always wondered, is this the golden era to be creating, writing, producing, or is it that much more competitive? But in my mind, it's like, there's so much demand for content. This has got to be a great time to be in this space. I think it's, I think it's the golden era for sure, because I think there's so many avenues to make stuff. Now, once you get to the Netflix and the HBO Max, what you tend to see now is what used to be the movie business 10 years ago. The star was the lead. Yeah. In television 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the writer was the star of the show. The person that you really wanted to get was a person with a unique voice, and then you'd cast that. Now it's similar to movies. You want to give Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon a million dollars an episode right out of the gate, which it took Friends, the most successful sitcom in history, 12 years to get them those kind of salaries. So I think at the top level games, you really got to bring something that is, is special, but there are so many other avenues for creating content. Um, so yeah, I do think this is a remarkable time. And like I said, with my short film, I mean, that took me six months. And even with Mike DeLuca's donation, it took me beg, borrowing and stealing to get that done. I could do that today with my iPhone and make it look just as good for 400 bucks. Yeah. Release, release it on the internet. And if people like it, they like it. So I think it's a great time to be creative. And I think, you know, it is, and I tell writers this all the time, it's just do it, you know, it's just that simple. Go out and do it. No question. You know, and so. And what I love, I, by the way, I've been following Victory the Podcast. I absolutely love what you and both Kevins are doing right now. Thanks. One of my favorite things that you guys do, which if anyone hasn't seen it, when you're showing the script in the background next to the actual footage, that's brilliant. I've never seen anything like that before, but as such a diehard Entourage, Entourage fan, being able to like be there, understand how you're thinking about different scenes, bringing in different yeah. characters. I love it. What, what, what got you like to really reboot this? And is there any chance that it could actually lead to, to bringing back? Uh, so, so Kevin Connolly, it's funny because he's like the creator of this situation. He called me up. A lot of people said I should do a podcast for years, a radio show, even before that. And it's one of those things that I really regret that I never try to pursue that because I actually love it much more than I like what I'm doing with this computer next to me. But yeah. Kevin has a podcast company called Action Park Media and he said, let's do this. We don't want to do Entourage. We want to be able to talk about our lives, our careers, our future projects or whatever it is. And he came up with the idea. I said, all right, let's give it a shot. And the, the kind of uh, outpouring of love for it has been mind boggling, you know, and, and where, you know, the, the Me Too movement kind of stopped Entourage in its tracks and really all of a sudden this beloved show started getting a lot, a lot of negative stuff. It seems to have, have turned the corner a little bit. So people ask me, would I do it again? I mean, I love these guys and I love working with them. So if the right opportunity presents itself, but uh, I'm pretty happy doing the podcast for now, you know? Yeah, no, of course, man. And, um, you know, I guess the other question I'd say is, are you guys just going to keep putting out content through uh, Action Park? Are you guys also experimenting aside from some of the Spotify? Uh, I've seen a lot of great videos on Instagram. Are you doing anything on TikTok and other platforms as well? We're, we're going to try to start to get into it. We're all like, unfortunately, like not the most social media savvy people. So we're going to just try to spread the word however we can. You know, we brought someone on who actually came up with that idea for the script thing, which I love. You know, they said, send me some scripts and then they started cutting them together, which I love it too, watching it. You know, it yeah. actually is cool to me. But um, um, 
yeah, I think we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to get the word out as much as we can. You know? Dude, lo love it. Love it. Um, yeah. Amazing, man. To, to kind of wrap things up, because I want to be you know, cognizant of your time. Um, any tips for people who are trying to break, come out, make it in this, in this industry, so competitive, Hollywood yeah. is impossible to break through. What would you tell someone who is looking to, to really start their own, uh, you know, write a script, produce a movie, direct, uh, what, what advice would you have? I've said the same thing for 30 years. And, you know, Rob Weiss, who, who worked on the show with me, who made an independent film in 1991 amongst friends, I made three independent films and three short films. You just got to go out and do it. And you got to hustle your way to figure out how you can get it done. Again, like I said before, it's really accessible to make movies now look good for a lot less money than it was 25 years ago. And there's a lot of avenues to find people that can take a look at the stuff. So there's, there's really no excuses. You got to, if you're creative, create, stop bullshitting and wasting time. And, you know, and by the way, I waste more time than anybody, but, <laughs> but it is really the thing that you just got to say when it feels like, what am I doing this for? Nobody's out there. You just got to do something that's true to you. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is if you don't really love creating and doing that stuff, get into another business because it is no matter what at the highest levels of success, which I've had some of those, very few people can maintain that. And I've had the ups and downs of anybody. And, you know, we all would like to be Wahlberg, who really has kind of skyrocketed straight up and stayed there for 30 years. That is like one in a million in Hollywood. Most everybody else is grinding on a daily basis, and the ones that don't get left behind. And I, I came up with a lot of people that I thought had a lot of talent but didn't have the work ethic or didn't have the passion, and they, they go by the wayside. So it's really just getting out there and doing it, you know? Dude, I love it. Doug, thank you for making the time, you got man. It. And when you do launch your new product, let's talk, man. I got I'm here to help. I think you're going to crush it, launch the next Avio and whatever it is. But congratulations Thank on you. everything. Thank man. you. And I did this all for the ice cream. So get me some ice cream, man. I'm, I'm ready for it. Got the new I'll flavors coming. All right. Be good, man. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. get out of this? What do I do? Just the square at the, uh, the X at the top, my man. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah.